0: Hey. Hey. I'm so glad to see you. It's great to be here. It's great to see you too. Hi, I'm Lisa Weaver, and this is Healing Jephthah's Daughters, the podcast. As you can tell, the HJD podcast is now coming to you on Thursdays. So look for new episodes in the podcast app of your choice each Thursday morning. Today is Friends Day. In fact, today is Girlfriends Day. I am so delighted that I have two of my inner circle girlfriends. Actually, we're part of a group called Sister Circle and you'll probably hear more about that in the future. Uh, ladies, I put your introductions in the in our text thread. Is there anything that I need to add to either of those? So, Lisa, this is great. Um, it's First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. Ah, of Brooklyn. Okay, that's helpful.
1: You don't need to add anything else. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to mention that I'm a Rockette publicly.
0: Okay. I mean, just to be casually, I didn't want to. Sure. <laughs> I know Brandon's face because she's
2: like, "Wait a minute, what?" Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yes, I was. I was. <laughs> I did the same thing when I first found that out. Like, what? Dion, is that fine for you? That's fine for me. Did you not want me to mention anything about the church? No. Tell me everything you want me to put in the introduction. Oh, just um, um, associate of um, uh, of Mount Airy Baptist Church. And that is in, is it New Haven? Bridgeport. Bridgeport. Just wanted for them to know, I, you know, I do have roots in the church house. Okay, so we will just get right into it.
0: Today, we have with us Reverend Adrian Thorne, who is a pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. And we also have with us my other good girlfriend, the Reverend Dion Boissier, who is the chaplain of the Church Center for the United Nations, as well as associate pastor of Mount Airy Baptist Church in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I am glad that y'all could join me on this podcast on today's episode. So it's Jephthah's daughter. It's Judges 11. Today, we're talking about this notion of obligation and duty and how that gets formed. You both have journeyed with me for decades with this. We've talked about this and mulled it around. What do you think about the story overall before we do a deep
2: dive? So I'll I'll dive. um, I'll dive first. I'll dive (laughs) first. (laughs) Thank you, Dee. So Family dynamics is everything, right? Because when you have issues, hurt people, hurt people. Come on, now. It's that that I see a lot of that's coming out with that whole story. And then you know, hopefully, our, our folk will actually read the Bible because some of them just don't do that. Oh. If we actually read, wait, are we not two minutes
0: in? And she messy. <laughs> no, we being girlfriends, ain't we?
2: Right? Nice, huh? We are. I'm just saying because we don't read it. Read it. I mean, if we really read it then we would see all of that that's coming out. The other part, of course, it's, um, it's a personal story for me because I'm an only child, the only girl child and in a West Indian family. So the notion of just obeying and doing what you were told to do, Adrian, you can understand what I'm saying about that too. Mm-hmm. What country Dion? Trinidad. Trinidad and Tobago. that into mm-hmm. So, I mean, so I think it's all of those things. Then the other thing is, I mean, there's some of those redemption stories, well, where there's none. What's the good news, right? That's that's what we've been taught to look for as preachers. What's the good news? What's the good news? And ain't none. Well, ain't well, none. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, in the typical sense of okay, when you preach, where's the hoop? Um, well, where's the good news? In that way, I mean, but there's a good news in in terms of us, right? In terms of sisterhood, there's something redeemable, is what I'm saying. I think out of it. And not something that is that sort of, quote unquote, typical good news.
0: Dion, to your point of, you know, what's the good news? That gets back to biblical hermeneutic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because there is no good news for women in this. The, mm-hmm. You know, the daughter dies, the women lament, right? But if you look at this text and preach it from a white Western male, cis, het heterosexual, patriarchal lens, The good news is that Jephthah is brought home and he wins the uh, the war with the Ammonites and he is made head. So he's no longer put out. So that's the good news because he ends up in Hebrews 11 in the roll call of faith. But there's so much you have to override
2: to
1: get to that good news, you know?
2: That's so true. This is Jephthah's daughter we talk about.
1: I totally agree. And that override, I think, is what's killing us. So I'm in a training right now with Rezma Menikam, who uh, wrote My Grandmother's Hands, which you know a lot of people are familiar with now. Yes. And he talks about the historical trauma that we're all carrying and the generational trauma that we're carrying. And I love that you pointed out that Jephthah. in an an earlier uh, episode, was himself a hurt person and that he came from a mother who was possibly a hurt person because she was a sex worker. Maybe hurt, maybe not. Maybe she was doing that by choice. But we know from the biblical tradition that women were usually in those positions because they didn't have options. So when you look at the generations of, of trauma, you have to override a lot of that stuff to say that, you know, Jephthah equals good news. Yeah. So that, that sticks out for me. And, and then we've got to search really hard and get to the end of the story almost before we find any quote unquote good news for the daughter. And even in that, you're still at the back of your neck is, but he's going to kill her in the end. It's like, great that she got two months with her girlfriends, but she about to die. And, and I know if I told this story to my daughter, who is a, an only child and a girl child, whose father is Trinidadian, I know she'd be like, "There's no way in the heck I'd be going back." She'd be like, "Let me go hang out with my girlfriend so that she'd be out of there." There's no way. So I think she would say, "How was that good news? Why? Why would she go back?" And she's a different generation from Dion. And I know when she was born, I remember her dad saying, "Oh, I can't wait till she grows up so she can make me breakfast." And I remember just feeling chilled because I thought, surely there is more to this child's life. Than growing up to be a servant of her dad
0: and breakfast is that the highest is that the highest thing you can imagine her doing for you you know I'm stuck on she I can't wait till she grows up so she can make me breakfast
1: and then of
2: course I am determined that she will not (laughs) ever I understood what he was saying I don't condone it but I definitely understand and I understand why as a West Indian man he was saying it to it's cultural and also individual you know you eat breakfast like a king my grandmother used to say this all the time you, you know you eat breakfast like a king lunch um, like a like a prince and and supper like a pauper right that kind of that kind of thing that's the way you kind of do it and so this this notion being proud that my daughter would be a good cook would be proud that my daughter would be able to do these things well I mean, don't get me wrong, because if she became a brain surgeon, he'd be just as proud and be boasting about her either way. But this notion that my daughter can do all these things and be the wife that, you know, she's supposed to. Yeah.
0: And that's all fine and good that she was a brain surgeon. But after they read her obituary and find out she was a brain surgeon and she was an A student and she married this person and she had these children and she traveled here and traveled there. The last thing anybody's going to say about her is, girl, a funeral home did a good job on her. She looks sleep. Girl, that's why we wake up dead every day, living under expectations that
2: other people set. Expectations are killing us. Now, we, we clean in this morning's thing. You know, but you remember what I told you all about, the five, the five women every, every man must have. A wife, a woman, a gal, and a thing. <laughs> I told you all about that. Wait, run that back. A wife, a woman, a gal. And That's only four. A wife, a woman, a gallon, a four. F- four women that every man of us have.
0: All right. Yeah, see, I did not expect this, but I appreciate the fact that Dion's the one that's been messy and it's not even 15 minutes yeah, in. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But we like messy. It's okay. <laughs> you know, if if she were a brain surgeon, you know, he'd be proud of that too, but that she can do both. But if she's a brain surgeon, she really not going to have a whole lot of time to cook. And so the expectation, the brain surgeon who's also expected to come home, do the laundry, cook, mm-hmm, pick up the kids, mm-hmm. and then she ends up dying expectations are killing us they
1: are killing us and so that wife mother galanting is a lot and there's not an equivalent for men right there's the warrior Mm -hmm. and you get to decide what happens to this little girl as she comes out of the door trying to be all those things for her dad because i guess there's no mother there so what is she Right? Is she the wife, the mother, the gal and the ting? And and definitely a ting because he can just dispose of her with no consequence. I don't wanna make it sound like I don't regard or respect the ability to make my dad breakfast or you know, for my, my kid to do that for her dad. I think I'm just um, pushing against the expectation and and what sometimes can seem like a lack of mutuality. Um, it is wonderful to know how to cook and it is wonderful to go home and see my parents and to, and to say, I'm going to do this for them because I love them. Like this is an expression. Um, But, you know, I was raised by a dad who um, had three, there's three daughters and one son. And he and my mom both insisted that we all know how to do everything. My dad is like, I will not raise ignorant daughters. I will not raise daughters who will be taken advantage of because they don't know stuff. So you will. Know how to change a tire. You will know how to change the oil. And my brother, you will know how to iron. You will know how to cook and do your own laundry. Um, because you might not be with someone who can take care of you. And that shouldn't be the expectation anyway. You should be able to take care of yourself. And so to know how to do those things and to be able to offer them to a parent, as opposed to this is what you do because you have these genitalia or this is what you do because you are this sort of a child. Um, there's an, there's an ownership and a property sort of energy to that that I think um, dismisses the humanity of, of who we are.
2: My papa, my great grandfather, was the one who ended up raising mostly all of the children, right? Having help to come and raise them and whatnot. So he owned the property, and that land then became, for, as far as he was concerned, his children's home. So that was the family home. But everybody owned. Mm. equally. But it was very clear, though, with the, with the daughters, and this was interesting, that they were to be the ones to keep the house because the sons, as far as he was concerned, they could go out and they could get their own. But the daughters, he needed to make sure that they were provided for. So the family home belonged to them. They all had it. And he did not want them to separate. So my grandfather and my grandmother, everybody had their room. And literally when they got married, they were all in that room. So you have whole families living in one room because Papa said we were all to stay together. So in the household, there were expectations. Women ate last. We made the plates for everybody. Men ate, children ate, and then we ate. I I always remember seeing my grandmother. Whatever was left, she would scrounge together and put on her plate. She sat there because everybody else ate first. You understand? And that was how we were conditioned. And that was sort of how it went. That's the expectation.
0: Then how, how do you see those expectations play out in your own life as an adult? You know, sometimes you look at someone's spouse and it's like, oh my God, he married his mother. But it's not just in looks, but behavior patterns, right? We bring those in, is what you do, what you don't do. Okay. How do you feel about the fact that she died, J D, let's call her JD, doing what she was supposed to do. This is the expectation. And yet the expectation cost her, her life. Right? right. But she died doing what she was supposed to do, what was expected of her. Well then that's the point, I think. I feel like that then
1: says to us, women are expected to sacrifice. And when Dr. Norton said, Jephthah knew, when he made that promise to God, he knew. So then I've been wrestling with that this week, you know, on the subway platform going. So he made a deal with God and said, I'm going to sacrifice my daughter and you're going to do this for me. He made a calculation and, and sacrificed her and he knew it that is that's incredibly troubling but when i think about the way this society this society hates women this society hates girls they hate our power they hate the ability we have to to give life and they cannot harness that and they cannot control that and they hate our pleasure they hate our sexuality i mean the whole duality between the mind and the body and men and women and the earthly and the heavenly all of that crap that is in the in the water and the air of the church that aligns them with empire and aligns them with capitalism and patriarchy and misogyny. There is, so it makes sense. It makes sense that Jephthah would make this calculation because girls don't matter. They're expendable.
2: They are. They are needed for certain things, but they are expendable. He
0: knew what he was doing. Yes. God, I'm going to give you her. You let me win the question underneath that is what was the motivation for his calculation and how was his calculation formed he got sacrificed too he did it, and you're right adrian he got sacrificed too i need you to unpack that because people keep saying that and i keep hearing it and i'm i'm not resistant to it but i think i'm so focused on how did he get sacrificed he get to go back home and be had. he get incorporated back into the community as a child though lisa He's still walking with that wound. And I want to forget that because I want to be mad at him. Thank you, y'all. Y'all going to keep me honest and accountable. Okay.
1: And his mama got put out the house too. So think about boys and their mamas. Exactly. She was never welcomed back, right? She was shunned. Think about women in the Bible who made their living by selling their bodies for sex and what would fall on him because of that. And then his dad comes for him. Like think of all the kids who sit at home waiting for the dads to come, right? You know, my dad is a, is a rock star and he's going to come and get me one day. My dad is a, is a prince and he's going to come and get me one day. And then daddy comes and he gets Jephthah and takes him to the castle, right? See, my dad was a king. My dad is, my dad's the man. And then your brothers say, you got to go. And that, the man says, doesn't say anything. That's like double devastating. I think that's double traumatizing.
0: I mean, but to your point about the expendability of girls, right? Like women are expendable. You serve a function. And when that function is over, I'm done with you until I need you again. Generally, the expendability of Black women. So, right, generally society has a script for women. There are expectations of women that are set at at home and in church. And I mean, like, where, where are all the places, first of all, that we even get these expectations? Jephthah somehow had an expectation that he was supposed to make a vow. He internalized an expectation that he was supposed to make a vow and she had internalized the expectation of her response to his winning, like what she was supposed to do. I'm thinking about from a contemporary context, what are all the places in which women learn what the expectation is? And Implicitly and explicitly, because sometimes it is communicated. There are signs and billboards. This is what you need to do to look sexy. This is what you need to do to keep your man. This is what you need to be a boss. To be th- what are the myriad places where we learn expectations? And sometimes I would argue that the places in which we learn expectations they conflict with each other. Church, be a good girl. Society, you own your body. You can have sex with who you want to. Right? We've got all these expectations. Well, there are a lot of a lot of
1: tropes that I think are just in the air that we breathe. So, as you like, like with racism, you know, we learn patriarchy, we learn misogyny. I mean, we all know that some of the worst um, haters of women are other women, and they learn that stuff in church. They learn that stuff from the Bible. I'm, I'm reading, you know, again ahead. But it's what the lament is for JD is they wept because she would never marry, and she was a virgin. Yes, right. That's the worst thing, to never marry and to be a virgin. You know, my daughter, when she was three years old, walked into our kitchen one morning or afternoon and fainted, like did this faint, fake faint on the floor, three years old, like this. And she was laying there. And I said, what are you doing? And she literally said, I'm waiting for my prince to come and save me. Oh my. And I screamed, get up off the floor and save yourself. She's three, right? (laughs) She's looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm thinking, oh my God, I have worked so hard like not to read those stupid fairy tales, to question, what do you think about this princess that's laying here and some guy just shows up and kisses her? And she's like, that's crazy. What do you think about fathers who make these vows to the kingdom that if you come and figure and help me figure out why my daughter's shoes are worn out, you know, the princesses that go dancing, you can have your choice Of daughters. So I said to her, someone came and knocked on our door and said to your dad, I want her. She's like, that's crazy. I said, but these are the stories we're reading to our kids who think that guys get to choose them. And if I don't get chosen for the prom or to marry, then there's something wrong with me. No, there's something wrong with this messed up culture that says you've got to marry and not be a virgin in order to meet the expectation. And and there are women. I know women in their fifties, in their sixties, who are lamenting this thing that we have been crazily fed. And and it ties, I think, to uh, Black Lives Matter and even George Floyd. This notion that our worth is tied to the expectation, our value, you know, is only we're only valuable if we are black in this particular way. Well, you know, George Floyd wouldn't have gotten killed if he had met the expectation, if he had just conformed, if he had just. Been still, if he had just not taken these drugs, or his heart—you know—you are somehow defective. He was not defective, and JD was not defective, and women are not defective if they don't marry and if they don't have children. But we have twisted, um, you know, the roles for Black people, Indigenous, and people of color, and for women and girls to the point where they think they are defective. And no, you came perfect, right? In your mother's womb, perfectly formed. You don't
2: have to hit this mark or do this thing. You're already good. But so, so let me say this, and I, you know, I'm again going to be the one throwing a wrench in the program. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm doing a lot of counseling with women who are still alone. So I'm, I'm just going to go there because we're girlfriends. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the times when people have said a lot of those things, oh, you're just. You're fine this way. And it's not that I don't agree with you because I do. And I think that. But the fact is, either y'all been married already or going home to be somebody with somebody or you're partnered already. You've had the experience and now whatever with it. (laughs) Or you're still married and you're telling someone, don't you worry. You don't have to this and you don't have to that. But I got to go, girl, because my husband is coming home. Well, I got to, girl, I got to, you know, or I have children and I have to, you don't know, don't worry about it. If you don't have children, it's fine. You're a mother to the community. You know? I mean, So yes, you're absolutely right. And when you do read those fairy tales, Adrian, they are absurd. When you actually, you know, like go back and you like really read it like, wait a minute, this is just not, this is not okay. <laughs> right. Now, on any level, it's not okay when you really read that. But when I grew up, you know, I never wanted to be, you know, Cinderella or anything, literally. But I did. I, I mean, Rapunzel was my girl, right? Like I'm gonna let down my hair, and someone's gonna come, and you know, come and save you. I wanted to be Rapunzel. I, I to, would be Rapunzel with her fabulous hair. Totally,
1: Dion has the
2: Rapunzel hair. But yeah, of course, Dion has Rapunzel hair. But you are kind. I'm saying that to say that. I do think that there's, you know, there's, there's something that's innate with us. And I think it's beyond, uh, it, you know, it, it sort of manifests with those, the societal expectations, but I think there's, it's a deeper a longing to not want to be alone. I think it's a deeper longing for people just not wanting to be alone. Right. And the way that we have sort of, um, crafted that not being alone is that you've got to, it has to come in this particular package. Like you said, Adrian, right? Like it has to be that you've got to be married or you've got to be partnered in this way and you've got to this and you've got to have children this way and you've got to, you know, and so we do have to reevaluate sort of how those things come up and what things long, you know, but there is still a deep longing.
1: Right. And I agree with that, Dion. I just want to say, I don't want to say to people, don't worry that you're not married or don't worry that you don't have children, but you deserve to live even if that doesn't happen. So like if I turn that corner, it's like, even if she had never married or didn't have children, or if we don't marry or don't have children, we still get to live. And and I think that's the thing with George Floyd, even if he had passed the $20 bill, he still deserved to live, you know? Absolutely.
2: That's where I I agree with you in that she should not have had to die. That, where, there is where, this is the thing, right? So who, where does that come up that she had to be sacrificed? That whatever child, whatever girl child he would have encountered had to die. And it was because of his full self that said, oh, I am going, I have to, um, to live out this, this vow. Right. That's so. So when you go to expectations, I want to go there for a second in terms of what good girls do. You know, therapy is holy. I'm just saying therapy is holy. Just let me just say that because I'm realizing a whole lot about myself and about this whole notion of being a good girl and what the good girls are expected to do, because that is what you are told It's a particular way that you're supposed to dress Good girls dress a particular way. Good girls have your hair done a particular way. And the church does that. The church reinforces that one for sure. You know, and a a way that good girls speak a particular kind of way. Good girls, you know, you don't have foul language. Come from your lips. (laughs) You know, so good girls don't cuss keep your knees closed your
0: dress down oh yes
1: and you keep those knees together and those dresses down that's part of it that's at the top of the list right of course don't be bringing no babies home Right. And then you hit a certain age, like I did when my parents are like, so when are we going to get some grandbabies? I was like, I thought I, I thought you, you were I was supposed to get married first. And they're like, "Girl, we ain't got, you know, basically they're like, we ain't got time for that. We need some grandbabies. And I'm like, when did that switch flip? Right. But I also want to lay alongside the good girl, the theology of the nasty girl that I think we can have like Hillary Clinton to thank for, because I think that's a very helpful And I love seeing uh, women saying proudly that I'm a nasty girl. Like I'm thinking about myself and I'm thinking about my health and not to be mean and not to disregard or disrespect our elders, our parents, our church, our institutions, but to lay that alongside of and interrogate the good girl.
0: I love my girlfriends and it was so good to be with them and have this conversation about this really difficult text, J.D., and expectations. It felt good to have rich conversations with tenured friends. I am not calling them old because none of us are old. And it brought back such good warm memories. Time does not allow us to have them frequently, but it was not uncommon for us to have conversations like this all the time about any and everything. We would sit around and peel back all the myriad layers of the proverbial onion. We didn't always agree, nor did we always come up with nice, neat, pretty answers that we could put in a box and check off as resolved and goodness knows there was nothing in this story that evokes the desire to put it in a pretty box or even find a bow but it was a great way to delve into this conversation about expectations expectations that women often internalize and live out of and left unexamined often kill them Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you are indeed very much alive. However, just because you are alive, it does not mean that there are not things or people and or situations that are not killing you. Killing your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, your confidence, your self-esteem, your relationships, your marriage, Sometimes women are living by expectations that other people set for them. Expectations that benefit others and leave them depleted. Expectations that are not in line with who they really are or what they truly believe. Now I'd like you to pause and ponder. These are reflection questions intended to invite you to self-inventory and self-reflection to help you to start or continue on your healing journey. Number one, take an inventory of the tasks you regularly do and write down for whom you do them. Just make a list. Number two, for each task, ask yourself, From whom or where did you learn that task was your responsibility and yours alone? Number three, for each task, ask yourself, is this task really mine to do simply because I am the woman, the wife, the girlfriend, the daughter? Expectations are often internalized and lived out and often unexamined. This invitation is for you to consider what you do, why you do it, and if it is really yours to do. My prayer for you today and always is freedom, healing, and wholeness. Healing Jefferson's
1: Daughters is part of the Lab Media Podcast Network. Lab is a collective of humans committed to a more candid dialogue about spirituality, culture, and the world. Visit Theolabmedia.com to see additional podcasts or to learn more. Today's episode was produced, engineered, and edited by Brandon
0: Maxwell.